You're listening to The Bookworm. Um, I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Del. The Bookworm is brought to you with association with Fab Radio International... <laughs> com and also Starburst magazine. Um, so coming up on the show, uh, not only do we have an exceptionally giggly producer Al, um, <laughs> some very good dramatic pauses from Ed. <laughs> very good dramatic pauses from me, mostly to give the producer a bit of a heart attack. Um, it's working, yeah. I like to send a heart to flutter every once in a while. Um, let's see, what, what am I doing? Oh yes, I'm doing the <laughs> Fireman by Joe Hill. It's not even out yet, so ha. Time is running out, and I've read it before you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, what What are you reviewing, Doug? Um, I'm going to be talking about the Lucifer series. Ooh. Ooh. Um, that's the one about the, the detective in Los Angeles. Oh, you <laughs> can... Oh. Yeah, that's coming up. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and h- who's the interview producer? Um, I'm hoping it's Neil Venison from Two Man Games. Hey! Um, but coming up next, good news... is Fab Radio International across the world 24 hours a day follow the show on Twitter via Radio Bookworm. You can contact us on Facebook via forward slash Radio Bookworm. We're on Tumblr as Radio Bookworm. And our specially trained animals that send us secret messages are also called Radio Bookworm. Actually, they're mostly called Kevin, but we call them Radio Bookworm as well. Um, Okay, so shall we start with a bit of Hugo Award nonsense? Yay! Are we there again already? Right. Are we already here? It feels like we only finished discussing it, last year's awards like two weeks ago. Oh, it really does. Uh, obviously, um, the, the program is on the long list, but then everyone else is as well. Um, there's a spreadsheet where people can nominate things. The way the Hugo's work is that you, you go along and you nominate whatever you fancy, but um, rather than having like states and groups, they are recommendations from various people, which is just an excuse to share really cool stuff. And we're very privileged to be on we keep appearing yeah. on lists of stuff that you should be listening to, which is lovely. And if you're doing that, that's really kind of you. Thank you. But um, anyway, getting that out of the way, Hugo, Hugo Award nomination Shatter Records, finalists to be announced in April. They did do this thing where I got, because obviously I, I, vote, I, I nominated stuff, um, and I got an email sent to me saying, You've nominated this one thing. And I was like, What? No, what? <laughs> um, and then hey, right. some sort of server issue where uh, apparently all my, all my nominations went through, so that's fine. Um, Mid America. Um, Mid American 2, also known as Mac 2, um, the 74th World Science Fiction Convention announced in uh, announced uh, just April just gone. Uh, well, April 14th that over 4,000 nominating bol- ballots were cut, cast for the 2016 Hugo Awards, double the previous record of 2,122, wow. which was at Sasquatch. Um, it keeps getting bigger and bigger ever since uh, ever since London. Mm. It, it, there's been a steady rise 
Um, Calling me suspicious. Are you suspicious? I'm do you, suspicious. Do you suspect people with an agenda have yes. been bothered? Yes. I suspect people with an agenda have been poked into voting a specific way. I think more. I think more that it's a case of because there were people being poked last year with an agenda. I think more people have more people who were like, yeah, I can't be bothered, but and are going have probably voted this time around because not everyone who goes nominates and votes. And it, oh, it's that whole thing as well, isn't there, of that there's no such thing as bad press because of all the, the stuff last year that, to be honest, has been explained to me a million times and was so hard to follow. It, yeah, it was hard to follow, but it was still constantly being talked about. This is probably all... A lot more people are probably aware of it now than would have been, say, this time to an ex- last year. To an extent, the Sad Puppies have sort of hit their goal in the sense that what because what their original goal was rather than what their actual goal was which is a different sort of conversation yeah what their what their kind of stated goal was was that they were saying we're trying to get more pulp more kind of you know pulpy kind of easy to read more fun more pure sfsf more sort of the stuff that you know what they called described as white collar Mm-hmm. Um, into that, and uh, you, okay, there's a longer conversation where we're like, yeah, yeah, well, actually, I think you'll find it, but no, 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 we know, <laughs> we know, <laughs> we know, we, we understand that I, uh, what a lot of the sad puppies wanted was a less diverse idea, <coughs> which is a ridiculous concept. How can you have a less diverse But anyway, you should consider voting for uh, us if you haven't done so already. Uh, you can't anymore. The, well, was the, closed. Yeah. Yeah. the nominations have closed. Thank yeah. you for voting for us. Then. Uh, but if we've been nominated, if we're on the shortlist, oh, okay. That would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. What's the thing? Is there then a voting process after that? If so you're, there's if you're on a short, Yeah, there's nominations. Then there's so, a shortlist. So, then... so, so there's, there's, there's the nomination process. Uh-huh. You can vote for anything. Yeah. Uh, pretty much anything in the world is, is eligible. Um, when we talk about long lists, what we're talking about is we're talking about fan-built long lists. Mm-hmm. Where, and there's various ones on the web where people build fan-built long lists of recommendations. Yeah. Sometimes you also get slates, which are found on, which is the whole thing of the sad puppies. Yeah. Where slates yeah. And people are like, no, don't just go for those specific things. Then you get the shortlist, which is the stuff that people have, have gotten onto the have nominated. So enough people nominate for a thing, it gets onto onto the shortlist. Mm-hmm. Then there's another round of voting. Then there's the awards. Okay. If you get onto the shortlist, you get a pin badge. Oh. So. Like badges, little rocket badge. We're not getting onto the nomination. No, I know. But so I think that's <laughs> very. That's such. That's a very sweet thing. It's really sweet. Um, what's it called? Phil Fogelow, who's been nominated something like fourteen times for Girl oh Genius, has a bandolier. Oh, oh. He's a lovely Phil Fogelow. <laughs> He's a really, really nice guy. Um, shall we? Shall we talk about? Oh, we'll just quickly. Um, Okay, so some Pe- the first time novelist Sam Peter has um, sold a book to Golans. It's a science fiction crime crossover no- novel with a love story at its core. Oh goodness! Um, called From Darkest Skies. Um, it's it's. I don't understand it when you read these press releases. It says it's a commercial novel. Of course, it's a commercial novel. It's a novel. You're selling it. What? As opposed to a non-commercial novel, as opposed yeah, to anyway. those ones that you don't want anyone to sell, like or read or buy. I, I've got a horrible feeling that commercial novel is a slightly well. It's not literature. Oh, who cares? Um, is it good? Then brilliant. Well, we'll read it. Thank you. Um, 
Uh, it explo- It also explores, apparently from Dark Skies, also explores artificial intelligence and the complexity of mankind's relationships with it. And it's a love story. Science fiction crime crossover novel, love story at its core, AIs. Is this a, is this a, a tale of a, a, of a boy meets AI, AI meets boy, they fall in love, world ends? It might be girl meets AI. Girl might be, meets AI, they fall in love. Never know. Unspecified... Could be general. Could it be humanity's love for for AI? Mankind meets AI. AI meets mankind. (laughs) They share some my (laughs) ties. Share some my ties. (laughs) That's amazing. It it sounds lovely, and it'll be out um, next year, apparently. Um, I feel like we talk about Golans quite a lot at the moment. It's because they they do they do do good stuff. They do they do good stuff. They do a lot of really well done them. I really like Colin. Yeah. With um, commissioning editor Marcus Skips. Hello, Marcus. Um, okay, so... <laughs> uh, new Terry Pratchett Publishing revealed at Memorial. Uh, I think this all made us very happy when we heard this. We've been yeah. avoiding this piece of news from the start of the news section, haven't we, really? Yeah, let's be honest. Everything's been leading to, to, to talk about this. <laughs> so, there's a bunch of stuff that's happening. Uh, Rob Wilkins is doing um, a, a biography. Mm-hmm. Um... They're doing a Good Omens adaptation. Apparently, <laughs> apparently there was a letter to Terry, and Terry had left a note for for Neil Gaiman. Yeah. So, oh. So, so Neil Gaiman's doing the adaptation. Yes. And and uh, at, at Terry all. Pratchett's request, it's one of those things. Yeah, please, please, please don't. Suck. Yeah, please, please don't be rubbish. And apparently, but I don't, I don't see why it would be. It's already, let's be honest, the best possible place it could be to be good. Yes. If they can't both do it, at least one of them gets to, and it's because the other one has said you should do this. Um. I'm I'm already feeling quite emotional about it because it kind of uh, yeah I think because it's all still so sad and it's still so raw and it's never gonna stop being sad um, because of just how how important Terry Pratchett is to so many people Um, but part of me is like I was prepared for the fact that Shepherd's Crown was the last thing and now it's kind of like oh now there's more, like something else to kind of just get excited about and remember and things so I kind of it's one of those things where yes I'm very excited and um, I think it's in the best position to not suck but it does just reopen all of the sad <laughs> oh, when this news came out I, I was chatting away to producer Al about it and they, they were like well you know who are they going to cast and the answer to that is anyone they want yeah, yeah literally anyone yeah it's the same as like the cursed child. Let's be honest. No, no actor is is not is going to say like I I don't think I don't want to do that. Like <laughs> I don't think that's my thing. Um, I think they've got the choice of literally anyone. It's one of those questions. It's one of those questions that we we ask when we talk to authors. It's like, what would you like to adapt? And a lot, a lot of them are like, oh, duh, Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <Duh>. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the same sort of thing. It's like, as an actor, would you like to appear in uh, Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman's I'm Sold? Yeah, <laughs> I'd I'd say yes. I'd definitely say yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let me remind you of the book where I'm social media in case you need to contact me. <laughs> what would you want to play? Anything they are. Anything at all, yeah. Yeah. 
I would be intrigued as to who they casted Adam's father. Mm. Because that's that, I think that's a, a big one. Because Adam's father needs to be someone that we associate with being very English mm. and very sensible. Mm. On the other hand, I have a feeling it might end up being Robert Llewellyn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd be anyone. See, for me, it's like the, the horseman. The, the amazing possibilities for the horseman is just... Oh. But no, I'd, I'd happily just be kind of someone's dream of um i want oh gosh i want to say agnes knit but i think oh. like, <laughs> just like just, i'll just be there like a little little dream of some old witch woman like running around well he was <laughs> nice in times. every british production ever we were every british production ever we julian Hot- glover olivia coleman olivia coleman oh thanks uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Olivia Coleman is probably going to be yeah. in there on some level. Absolutely. I tell you what, I, I would love to be just the, the really, really annoyed uh, nuclear scientist. <laughs> uh, if I if if somehow I was off the road, what's your role? Irritated nuclear scientist. <laughs> if you've not read Good Omens, uh, after you finish the show, get Good Omens. It's yeah. like it's like Watership Please. Down. It's like Watership Down when people go, "Have you not read Watership Down? Just, just stop what you're doing." And go back. I wondered where you were going with that. Then it's going to be like, "How is it like Watership Down? You know, How those... are you comparing Good Omens to Watership?" You know, it's one of those books that <laughs> yeah, no. stop you and just say what you haven't. No, 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 no. Seriously, if you if you like reading, and seriously, if you're listening to the show, you like reading, mm. then then go and you know grab this thing. I don't lend books because they don't come back and because I'm very fussy about my books or look pristine. Um, And I actually lent Good Omens to my lovely friend Josh uh, to to read and I was just like, because I think you're going to love it. And it was just to kind of try and open that world up to him. Um, And I never got it back. And I've not forgotten, Josh, if you're listening. (laughs) How long have you been bearing this this Uh, slight good? Whenever uh, I was in a production of The Crucible, and that's when I lent it to him, and I think that may have been four years ago. Wow. Yeah. So I read Good Omens... Let me do some maths here. I read Good Omens about 25 years ago for the first time. I've still still got that book. Aww. However, I then bought another copy immediately because the... um, person that I fancied at the time, I wanted them to read it, but I didn't want to let go of my copy, so I gave them the copy, which I immediately lost. Um, <laughs> I did go through a habit of... Not a surprise, not a terrible surprise. Uh, uh, and then uh, I, I, I did have did go through a period of seeing it with flowers, then seeing it with Terry and Neil. You see what I mean? It's like, read this if you haven't already. But, uh, yeah... Um, well, sorry. Oh, yeah, The Wee Free Men is being adapted yeah. uh, as well. Knack Backfield! Oh, Knack-back-field. I love them. I love them so much. It says here um, the, it's, 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 uh, further details are expected to be revealed at Comic Con. We're assuming that San Diego Comic Con. I would assume San Diego Comic Con. Rather than Wigan Comic Con. Wigan, yeah, yeah. That'd be a bit for Wigan. Yeah, they, they, should, they should totally clarify that in this particular press release. Or, you know, make yeah. it, make it Salford Comic Con's coming up soon, Rhiannon. It makes it sound like they didn't care yeah. about the others, which is, is a shame. But, yeah. If Rhiannon Pratchett wants to announce it at, you know, I don't know. London MCM that would mm. be kind of nice Rihanna Pratchett for anyone listening is Terry Pratchett's daughter and she's doing the screen play from the looks of things 
Like she's actually creating the adaptation, which again is a wonderful thing. If you're going to give it to someone to capture the soul of what's being created, uh, it's, it's a good way to do it. And what is being produced by uh, Terry Rossio, who's uh, the the second highest grossing screenwriter in the world, and it's responsible. It's good for hands, yeah, then yeah. safe hands. Responsible, it's not looking terrible, isn't it? responsible for <laughs> Shrek, Aladdin, and Pirates of the Caribbean. So, Mott is the one that a lot of people have read. If you've only read one Pratchett, you've read Mott. So. Yeah, I think, because it's... Is, is Mott the one that used to be called Eric? No. No, yeah. no, Eric Eric Faust. Like, uh, Faust yeah. slash, like, crossed line. Well, I have read Mott, then. I have read Mott. Yeah, I think, um... I think because Mort is one of the earlier ones, and I think Mort is the one where the voice was, was found by then. Like, um... Um, The Colour of Magic, and like fantastic uh, not Let's they're like nice. his his older voice like they're the before he kind of they were they were like the the idea and the creation of the world equal rights the then we start to actually it's okay to say that the color of magic's a bit pants oh no i do Sorry. enjoy it but it's like it's not really representative is it it's it doesn't start the way the rest of the series then at what what how it becomes yeah no, that's not it, how it starts it's closer in t- tone to he's trying to write a more commercial novel mm. rather than being happy with, with his um and i think more is the one where it's like an earlier work but he's found his voice and therefore it's it's just I think again it's another one that people are like oh you want to read Pratchett read more so we've got four pages of news from the London uh, book fair most of which is not not genre oh we've got some no genre. we've got some, <laughs> we've got some, and one of the things I noticed is there's a lot of books that are set against the backdrop of the London riots ah goodness we've had about eight books now that are set against the backdrop of the London riots I've recently seen a play that had been set against the backdrop of the London riots so yeah but we weren't at the London Book Fair. No, um, but you know what? That book sounds suspiciously similar in plot to the play I've just seen. Well, if Different we were at the London Book Fair, we'd have done a special about it, but we but weren't. But we weren't. No. no, so no. We did and like I said, a lot of this is not genre. A lot of it's not genre. No. Well, we would have caught Why would up it be? With, do you know what? We'd have caught up with Jonathan Green at Snow Books, and he's talking about stuff like Shakespeare versus Cthulhu and Alice in Wonderland. And there was a whole load of really, really cool stuff that was going on there. But uh, we've run out of time for the news, haven't we? We have. Maybe next year. <laughs> Another dramatic pause. Another dramatic. <laughs> Just to I, throw the producer out. I, I'm really good at the dramatic pauses, and it's also, you know, a slightly amazing producer, which is always funny. It's, it's so funny. I wish you could see. Oh, check on the webcam in four minutes, because then it'll be like there, won't it? Does the webcam still exist? Me, I've not looked at the webcam for a good year, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> but it's on a five-minute delay, so look in four minutes to see producer going mental. <laughs> the, there's. Hmm. Books. Yeah, sorry, books. <laughs> so, 
Uh, I've been very lucky enough to get my hands on a book called The Fireman by <coughs> Joe Hill. Um, yeah, I've been. So, The Fireman by Joe Hill. Uh, is massive. Is huge. It's a big, big, crunchy book. And you immediately think, wow, this is definitely designed to. It's, <laughs> I just opened it randomly. It's like chapter 136. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> It, it's one of those books that's definitely designed to stay with you on holiday, by which I mean it will stay with you on holiday because it's so large. <laughs> and you're carrying it around for a while. Um, I would I, feel safe with that in my handbag. Especially the hardback, <laughs> which you could use to stun burglars with. It <laughs> makes it a definition of true art. Um, <laughs> being, okay, being silly aside, what is the fireman about? Right, okay, so the world's pretty much ended. Um, so far, as, as the book opens, we meet Harper Grayson. She's a nurse. Um, she is a um, she. She's working in an emergency ward. All the nurses who are available are working in in the, the emergency ward because there's a new disease in town. It's called Draco Trichophyton, and it's a spore. So it's not a it's not a traditional virus. It's a spore. Okay. If you get Draco incendiary, uh, let's call it by its Let's call it by its uh, colloquial name, which is Dragon Scale. If you get Dragon Scale, um, it starts, it makes really little pretty spiral patterns, scaly, goldy, fatty spiral Aww. patterns on your arm. Slowly but surely builds up, slowly but surely builds up, and then you spontaneously human combust. Aww. You go on fire. It started so pretty. You look, you look like a pretty dragon. <laughs> And then whoosh. And then you can't quite contain the fire. You can't quite contain the fire and you burn painfully to death. Oh. So. It's not uh, a quick thing then. No. Oh dear. So, well, you kind of, you go whoosh, but, you know, still burning to death is not quick. Yeah, no, not a quick one. So, pretty much what's happened is this disease has gotten out of hand. Humanity has gone, oh, it's a horrible way to die, and panicked. Um, And it's spread around the world. Um, the CDC is already up in flames. This is one of the problems, is that, you know, it, it sets fire to people. So, and then people set fire to things. And then things, in essential infrastructure, like hospitals, are set fire to Oh, no! So, slowly but surely, all the infrastructure is falling apart. And it's a contagious disease. So, fire. Lots fire of fire. Lots of fire, lots of burning to death. So, we meet Harper. Harper is... is a nurse she's a good hearted character is the best way to describe it she really is one of those kind of you know always thinks the best of people always considers the, the right way that kind of stereotypical you know still very pragmatic and practical because she is a nurse mm. but you know it st- still has that whole thing going on so so this is an end the world is at the, when the book starts the world is definitely in the process of ending yeah. Uh, governments are panicking. People are panicking. There's, you know, they're trying to herd people with dragon scale up and isolate them. Uh, pretty much we've got to martial law at this point. Um, there's that whole thing where, you know, right wing DJs and DJs are ranting away in, on Fox News and then they explode. Oh. So it's, you know, it's that slowly but surely. That that slow but sure, sure collapse. It's interesting, by the way, that Harper Grayson's he, personal hero is Mary Poppins, and she's oh. she's very much she very, very much does the kind of magical nanny thing. So she's trying to help people. Yeah. Um, so she's when we first meet her, she's working in a hospital. When we first meet the titular fireman, 
who's an English who's an, an Englishman living in America first time we meet him the guy's in a full fireman EVA co- uniform which kind of makes sense when there's a contagious disease and he's in a hospital <laughs> and he's got this boy in his arms and he's trying to jump the queue and everyone's like, no, everyone's sick. Stop trying to jump the queue. And he's got the um, the, the, the big fireman's axe. It's got a very specific name that they use quite a lot in the actual thing. But he's got the big fireman's axe on him. The um, the halligan, the, the huge fireman's halligan. He's got a halligan in one hand. And um, luckily, Harper comes along and, and sorts it out and goes, well, hang on, what's wrong with this boy? Well, something fell on him and now he's feeling, ah, that's, that'll be an appendicitis then. Hang on, let's, let's rush the boy to hospital. Mm. And so on. So that's how they two, the two meet. Um, it is not as... I'm going I'm to quickly go through the first... Because there's hundreds of chapters here and it's a big book, it's hard to review without going into the, the, the start of it, so I'll, I'll, yeah. set, I'll set it up for you. So, uh, she's lovely. Mm-hmm. She gets contagious disease. Oh. He's I mean, the mysterious fireman. The he, mysterious fireman. He he he, he has a, has an exotic accent for an American. Uh, you know, and all the rest of it. He he swears really as well, which is kind of there's a bit that makes me laugh when he's swearing. And he's just like, I'm English. I can say this word. I'm this <laughs> word. I don't care. I swear without fear. He's just, I swear without fear. <laughs> No, 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 seriously, you do, because British people know how to, you know, we, we know the correct use of language, especially when it comes to foul language. Oh, yes. It's use of weapons, it's always, anyway, that point is made. <laughs> um, so, uh, she, uh, Harper's married, um, she, uh, essentially, she, there's a wonderful romantic scene with her husband and pal baby, because one of the things about Joe Hill's writing with this is that the writing is very straightforward and simple. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the plotting is straightforward and simple. So A falls, B falls, C falls, D. If you think this is going to happen, it probably will. And he builds that up. So you're sitting there going, this is going to get horrible soon. This is going oh, to no. Soon. Ah! If you see what I mean. Yeah. You, can kind of, you can kind of see the curveballs coming, but you can't duck. And that yeah. just makes them even more powerful. It's like, you know, you know it's coming, you know it's coming, you know it's coming, and it, somehow it's still a surprise when it smacks you in the face, um, which is a brilliant way of, you know, it's, it's his style of writing. Um, so Harper gets pregnant, Harper gets dragon skill, her husband flips out and is a total douche about it. I'll not go into the full details, but he's an absolute just everything you could possibly do wrong and more oh. uh, and she ends up running and she finds herself in a community of other people of dragon scale called Camp Windham and yeah that's totally going to be a uh, Day of the Triffid style reference this is full of references to stuff like Windham and other kind of post-apocalyptic fiction which focuses on the human experience of the end of the world mm-hmm. there is a thing about dragon scale there is a secret about dragon scale that is foreshadowed and foreshadowed and foreshadowed of course it is because this is that sort of horror novel and yes it's a horror novel yes you'll you, you <laughs> you'll never see a snow truck again the same way you'll never see a halligan again the same way to be honest it is a scary book there are some scenes of slow and subtle building horror. Um, it's it feels very much like I'm going to say it. It feels very much like in places like The Shining for that sort of build up. Oh, and I'm trying, that's a very big book for that much suspense. 
<laughs> I don't and, know if my nerves could take that. <laughs> and, you know, I don't want to compare it to The Stand, which is about post-apocalyptic, and I don't want to compare it about the, the, for The Shining, which is a masterwork in in pacing. And the reason I don't is because, obviously, it's Joe Hill is Stephen King's son. I don't mm-hmm. want to compare them to each other, but I have to, because this is a big, thick horror novel written in a very accessible, easy-to-read style. And... One of the things I did note is that Joe Hill does that thing where he he doesn't constantly summarise what's going on, mm. but it's quite easy to dip in and work out where, you, if you've not read it... If you've had to put it down for a little bit, you'd, had, be, you, you'd be okay getting it's back. easy to pick up because it doesn't, okay. it doesn't do the summary thing, but you can work out from the context where you mm. should be and what was going on. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Oh, oh, flip. Yeah. Oh gosh. How did that resolve? And you're back in. And you're back in. Um, The pacing is steady. The book is huge. Um, The characters are. I've I've just. I've just opened it on on the diary of Harold Cross. Poor Harold. Um, It's all full of. It's all full of really, really human moments really really horrible moments some of the characters your heart goes out to some of the characters you just want to dump you know you just want to drop on their head sometimes you're you're waiting for the burn you're waiting for the burn um (laughs) Joe Joe, Joe Hill's actually a supporter of um, Hillary rather than Bernie Sanders so we can't say feel the burn that would be unfair but uh, yeah (laughs) but no I think I don't think you have to feel bad about like like saying then like you don't want to compare him to Stephen King but you know what you're gonna I think that's that's not taking away his his being a writer in his own right I think that was kind of just saying like there's some things that Stephen King does very well and it just happens that his son also has done those things well I think we'd say it if it was any other yes, author I, I, would definitely, um, I would definitely be comparing this in parts yeah. of the stand anyway it just um, happens that in this instance the person that the comparison is being made about is their son um, I can see why that would be difficult as a writer to feel like everyone's going ooh blah blah son blah blah son there's but, not many huge epic chunky horror novel, novels no. that, of this style and you know it's nothing like Clive Barker <laughs> you know he's nothing like he's nothing like a whole chunk of, of a horror writers so the closest thing he's like is he's the author that he's most like is joe hill and he has a unique and strong voice and you should read it for that it's an easy read but it's a it's stamina rather than skill here uh it will take you a while this is designed for your summer holidays mm. it's specifically designed for when you're on a hot beach and it's all hot and it's all warm and you're all comfortable. oh no and not when you're all hot and you're all warm and you're, re- you're reading about people who explode uh roughly what page like how many pages does your copy have it? oh goodness well because it's a, that is that is that it it is a tome hefty, hefty. this is an arc so it could be any um and they've not numbered it they've given it what? yeah no they um, haven't numbered it but that is huge i'd say that is at least that's that's bigger than pedido Oh, definitely. It's bigger than Pull Out of the Street Station. Uh, yeah, and that is hefty. five cha- chapters. Oh, good God. Yeah. That's, so. that's, that's got to be six or seven hundred pages? I'd say more. Possibly. Because the, those margins are tiny. Uh, that script how, is almost edge to edge. How, how many pages is the really big Harry Potter? 
Oh, it's, like, it's, it's, bigger oh, it's than, much bigger than it's, that. It's, it's bigger than that. Definitely bigger than that. I'd say that's bigger than Pedido. And Pido- oh, so I said Pedido, and then you said Pedido, so I said Pedido. Uh, but that's it's around, what, eight, 800 pages or something? Like 900, maybe? Pedido, Pedido, Pedido. Let's do the formative. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a hefty tomb. It will see you through, through the, the holiday season. No 768 pages. Thank you, Amazon. 768. That's two and a half novels worth on average. For some, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Most of the novels I've read recently have been between 350 and 400. And I, I'm, I'm fairly confident that this is not going to have a sequel, because otherwise that would just be too much. Um, but the fact that there's a book that is that long, and yet it was still worth the read, like it, it was there because it's, it's a justified... <coughs> It's a justified seven hundred and however many pages from the sounds Indeed. of it. It's wonderful. It's 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 That's a skill. Steadily paced. And it you does take you through it and it's very human. And one of the things that it is is that I would quite cheerfully give this to my non horror loving friends. Yeah, because I don't I'm not normally a horror reader. There's some horror that I read and very much enjoy. Um not a lot and that does sound that does I, sound really intriguing. I think they're desperate to say that it's not horror, but it's got people blowing up in it. <laughs> that's, that's an, it's, and it's about that fear of what's coming it's about fear of fire so it's yeah. fear of death and it's about the end of the world and the fact that people are getting a disease that they they know before they're going to die but it's that not, they're going to die and that in itself already has quite a lot of, of suspense and horror based aspects you could call it disaster sci-fi if you want to you could call it okay. you could call it post-apocalyptic disaster sci-fi if you really want to if you think that's going to make people read it more mm. <coughs> you could call it a you could call it a thriller you could call it an end of the world book I don't really care to be honest it's a good <laughs> read um, this is one of the, this is one of the problems of genres where genre falls down I think is that this is a very very cracking read but yeah you get to that point where it's like mm. you know, yeah okay it's horror yeah okay it's what's called the fiction but you know it is it's as much horror as a handmaiden's tale is science fiction okay so you know when, make, make of that as you will when was that one out uh, when's this out yeah in June Okay, so yeah, Jean really is ready for your summer holidays. And if it's a story about fire nice and you're and in a hot country, nice and warm, it's like reading the old man and the old man sing in the bath. What? It made it a very different reading experience. Okay, <laughs> my, no. my brother bought from my father. My father at the time was still a marine engineer. So working on working on uh, oil, North, North Sea oil platforms, doing doing the kind of support work for on the ships. Guess what? Book my my brother decided to give him for that Christmas away from his family. The perfect stall. Nice, nice, good work, Frank. Clever, oh. well done. Um, so um, <laughs> this is out on Gollance. It's by Joe Hill. It's called it's Final... released on the seventh of June, apparently. Yeah, and it's out on the seventh. Says it on June. back. Says it on back. Across the world, twenty four 
So, did you smile? Hello. Were you in Australia recently? I wasn't Australia recently, it was amazing. <laughs> I'm amazed it took you that long to, to hold back on, like, well, to let go on that one. <laughs> so, there's a, there's a guy in Australia called Neil Weatherson who produces uh, apps, which are also books. So, therefore, it's ours. Ha ha! Um, so, so, so. We'll leap on that, and uh, you had a conversation with Neil about some of his forthcoming projects. I did. It was very exciting. Should we listen to it? Yes, please. Okay. This is Fab Radio International. Neil Lennison, welcome to the book room. Hello. Um, so, we're in Melbourne, which is kind of unusual, but you're yeah, British. I am. So, what brings you to Melbourne? Why... Why Australia? Um, so, first date with my wife. She was going off to Australia about a month later. I always wanted to live in Australia. We got chatting about that. And then a few years later, we applied for a visa. And we ended up living here, had my daughter here. Um, and I decided to start an indie game company here. Uh, I've been back to the UK since for a few years. Um, but then more recently, about a year ago, came back and sort of been helming Tin Man Games since then. Yeah. Is it easier to run a video games development company here than in the UK? Uh, it's probably about the same. I would say that the um, there was, at the time when I started Tin Man Games here, there were more funding options in Australia, especially in Victoria and in Melbourne, than there were in the UK, although that's since changed. The UK's got a bit better in those areas. So. Okay. So tell us about your current big project, which people will have heard of, which yeah. is the, I'm not sure if adaptation is the right word, of the Warlock of Firetop Mountain. Yeah, so it's Ian Livingston and Steve Jackson's very first uh, fighting fantasy book, which came out in 1982. Um, and uh, up till now, if anybody's been following what we do, we've been releasing digital game books um, for a little while. Uh, we did eight adaptations of uh, some of the other fighting fantasy books. Um, but uh, we wanted to tackle this one, which was the very first one. It sold millions of copies worldwide, so um, it's quite well known. And at the same time, we wanted to update things a little bit because um, while our game books have been really great in the old format, um, we just felt that we needed to open our audience and broaden our market a little bit. And so we've taken it into a 3D realm and you've now got uh, like a 3D digital miniature moving through a 3D map of Firetop Mountain. So... So, how did you kind of get the license from Fighting Fantasy? That's a funny one. So, when the iPhone first came to the market, mm -hmm. um, I was I'd started Tim and Games. I'd been going for about six months to a year, and I was thinking, what can what, what can I do to uh, to make games for this new fancy device? Yeah, smartphones were, were the new thing, and so I delved into my childhood background and I thought, what did I enjoy doing when I was a kid? And I thought, I loved reading Fighting Fantasy books. I thought, wow, I'm going to write my own. Oh, well, 18 months later, I'd written my own. And at the same time, I recruited um, uh, another five writers from the dark corners of the internet. <laughs> so even though Choose Your Own Adventure books and Fighting Fantasy books have kind of gone out of favour over the last sort of 15, 20 years with the advent of video games, um, there were still um, 30 to 40-year-old guys in this dark corner sharing stories on some forums. And I got in touch with them and said, hey, I've got this idea. I don't know whether it's going to go anywhere. How would you like to write some stuff with me? 
Um, and so we did, and that became the first... So my book and the other five writers became the first six books of the Game Book Adventure series. Um, and then for book seven of the Game Book Adventure series, I approached Jonathan Green, who was a bit of a stalwart for fighting fantasy. He'd yeah, yeah. a bunch of the books. Then of the show. Uh, he's a lovely man. <laughs> I miss him, actually. Um, I'd see him a fair bit in the UK when I was over there. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he, he wrote Temple of the Spider God, which is our book number seven. And um, I was in the UK doing some promotion at Dragon Meat in London. And uh, Ian Livingston walks up and goes, hello, Neil. Uh, oh, hello. And he said, I, I'd like to talk to you, please, about some stuff. And I was like, cool. He said, look, you know that I'm about to release the 30th anniversary edition Blood of the Zombies game book. He said, would you like to do the app version? I was like... Uh, nah, that'd be rubbish. I can't say no. But I bit his hand off basically, mm -hmm. and we negotiated that. And then from there, um, we signed up the license for the rest of the series because um, it was previously with another games developer in Canada. Okay. Um, but they decided not to renew the license, so um, it moved to us. And yeah, and that's kind of how we ended up. I think Warlock of Fire Top Mountain is one of those books that has a special place in a lot of people's hearts because I had a copy of that which I think I'm not sure if it's quite unusual for a girl to have had a copy or not but I think it was one of those things that kind of opened up that entire world to people because mm. rather than having to have you know the dice and the, the board games and all the books and the rest of it, it was just all self-containing that mm. one little book mm. well originally the book started off as a uh, guide to play Dungeons and Dragons mm. Um, that's that's you know Ian is, Ian was writing and I think and Steve at the time writing this book on how to how to play D and D and they had a part of the book on what it would be like to play a D and D game so they thought well why don't we actually play out a single player D and D game and then obviously the book publisher saw that ran with it and thought this is actually that's the thing yeah. it's not a, a how to play D and D this it's a, it's a D and D game like it's, you yeah. know, so so. Um, uh, and then from there, of course, it became this phenomenon because all of a sudden we'd, it's a, a modern word now, gamified, yeah. we'd gamified reading. Yeah. So, so, you know, all of a sudden you had kids who wanted to read because they were able to control the story and they were able to take a character. Like, we're talking the early 80s here, before video games had properly established themselves, that was revolutionary. Like, like the, as a kid, getting a book... And being able to go in as me and make the decisions of the story, but not only that, to have numbers that represented my health and my skill, and then to have a weapon and 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 be able to imagine myself in that scenario and make decisions based on those things was just mind blowing. We take it for granted now. Yeah. And, you know, every video game since then is, it does that as a standard, but back then it was like you know that was my original, and it was also portable. Yes. I'd go on holiday and I have a stack of these things. You know, it was my original Nintendo DS. Yeah. Really. And you um, you play them on the way to school on the bus. Yeah. Yeah. And we'd swap them in the playgrounds. We'd discuss you know the merits of different monsters and who was the best yeah. and you know. I suppose the extension of reading at the book on the school bus now with what you're doing is that people can play it on the train on the way to work. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a. Originally, when that was my main thing, when the iPhone came out, and then the, later the iPad was just this trying to, you know, bring that back to the fore again yeah. and try and you know tap in as well a bit to, on the nostalgia to yeah. to get people into it again. So. Do you think because it's going to be on the app, it might open it up to a younger audience? Because I know Dungeons and Dragons is be as a whole is becoming. Mm. Kind of having a resurgence. Yeah, well, we found that anyway in the last few years, just with our, our normal digital game book apps that we've done. You know, I'll get in, I'll, I've had emails from fathers saying I've been reading this to my kids and they've really loved it, like because they, you know, they 
they like choosing the different things and whatnot. Um, and it's amazing. We have been, we've um, obviously showed off at conventions and we've done a few conventions in the States. And actually, Fighting Fancy wasn't very popular in the States. There was a few others. Lone Wolf did okay over there, but so it was mainly Choose Your Own Adventure over there. So a lot of, there's a whole generation like of people that um, didn't have this RPG reading thing, rolling dice and fighting monsters within a book. Yeah. Um, and they come up to you and they go, oh my God, like, you know, did you invent this? Like, I'm like, yeah, of course I did. <laughs> I didn't, of course. <laughs> but, um, so, and you, have, you know, and I've, we've, we've showed a lot of young people who, you know, they're playing Call of Duty or they're playing World of, World of Warcraft or they're doing something modern. And you show them it and they're really into it. Like, they, they get it, you know. But I think some of that is the quality of the story. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it's, it's a good story is what any audience wants, I think, irrespective of age. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And it's just, you know, the books are beautifully written yeah. and they... Um, they were the precursor to what has happened since. And so, you know, a lot of the things that you're used to seeing in, say, World of Warcraft or any of these kind of modern fantasy games or stories, um, a lot of their roots of where those things come from come from fighting fantasy, come from early games workshop, come from early D&D Gary Gygax. Without those core things, these future things would never have evolved into the way they've evolved. So... Um, at the purest form, they are like the pure version of that, and and it is that that feeling of just putting a backpack on, strapping a sword to your side, and wandering into a hole and seeing if you can find some treasure. I mean, there's something still very beautiful about that. Yeah, yeah. And I think probably what a lot of people don't realise is because um, obviously you've shown me around your um, offices here, um, and we've had a quick look at the actual original book that you've got. And you, the thing you said to me was, "Oh, it's quite a slim book." Mm, it is. And I think what people don't understand, and what is phenomenal if you look at the wall of your office here, is how much complexity is in it. Mm. You know, you've got this kind of planning tree with so many different options and branches of it mm. that I think people perhaps underestimate the complexity of what's going on. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's amazing when you unravel one of these things. Um, and you, you know, as you've seen, we've got that big wall in the office where we've drawn this whole thing up, and it's just a massive spider web of crazy. Um, and it, it, you know, it remained like I think I can't remember what it, when it was. When in uh, a number of years ago, one of our programmers ran a overnight soak test on one of our gamebook adventures. But obviously, the Final Fantasy series is probably what you're best known for but you're branching out into other things now so you've had to be or not to be which is Hamlet yeah which is awesome love it yes which I've had a play of that as well um, which is amazing Um, and also you're now doing Miss Fisher's Yes, Miss Fisher Murder Mysteries, that's right, yes. What else can you tell us about that? So, um, yeah, this is so, uh, Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries is, is, a, is set in Melbourne, so it's, it's, you know, it's very close to us because it's very local. Yeah. Um, it's actually funded by Film Victoria, who have also funded us in the past. And it, this was literally one of the staff came in in the morning. He had been watching the show the night before and went, what if... So we made a few phone calls to Film Victoria. Film Victoria made a few phone calls to the TV production company, and the next thing we know, we were talking about doing a, a game version, which was really exciting. So um, uh, initially, we were going to do like a game book, yeah. like a structured game book. But as development went on, we kind of realised that you know, Miss Fisher is all about uh, visuals. Yes. 
like it's about what she's wearing it's yep. about where she is it's, it's about the glamorous locations or non-glamorous locations <laughs> where they find dead bodies and back alleyways and things um and so we thought we can't just just put this into words this needs if we're going to do a video game version of this we need to make it visual so we ended up going the visual novel route which is more the uh, sort of japanese manga-esque anime kind of style way of you know the phoenix right yeah. kind of games um, so we have little avatars that, 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 that float in and converse with each other on, on beautiful backdrops and it's a murder mystery game so you're picking up clues and you're combining clues to open up other other leads of investigation and, and various things and, um, and it, it was really important to us that the dialogue was spot on so we hired a really great writer um, who we ran past not only the TV production company but um, uh, the original writer as well um, so of, of the actual novels yeah. and we all met together and we swapped ideas and, and stuff and so I just wanted to make sure that they were all happy with that yeah. and he's done a great job like he's really he just understands the um, the humour and the language um, his game the reason one of the reasons we hired him his, he, he released a game all by himself called My Ex-Boyfriend the Space Tyrant <laughs> which I think <laughs> if, you're, if you're a Miss Fisher fan just that title, you can kind of understand it, it, the, just the, the, the tongue in, the slightly tongue in cheek way of, of, of um, the way he approaches things. I think suits the suits the story really well. So. Um, if you were trapped on a desert island and mm. you could only save one book, what book would that be? Gosh, that is a hard one. Wow. I should say a fighting fancy book, but, but I'm not going to because that's too obvious. <laughs> um, that's a book that I'm probably going to have to read again and again and again as I grow into my old age on my own. And a book, one of the only books that I could possibly ever... I'm, I, like, it's weird, I make books, but I'm not a voracious reader. I, I, liked, I love reading, but I'm, I'm quite a slow reader and I take things... I, I read quite in-depth. And for that reason, it would have to be Lord of the Rings. I know that's a really boring answer, and I'm sure it comes up a lot. Um, but it, it's the only book that I can pour over, and I've read it a few times. And it's it's got everything for me. It's got nostalgia about when I read it originally. I grew up in a part of the UK. I grew up just outside Oxford. Went Tolkien was obviously at Oxford. Um, I have a lot of ties to Tolkien. In fact, the village where I grew up was actually in one of his books, uh, the Farmer Giles of Ham, which is one of his books. There's a there's a the parson of Oakley gets eaten, and um, uh, I grew up in Oakley in a village called Oakley, and it is the Oakley because Farmer Giles of Ham Ham was later called Tame. Tame is just up the road, and the word the the dragon comes from a place called Worming Hall, which again is just down the road. So, um, um, me and Tolkien. Even though I never knew him, I feel quite close. It comes up less frequently than you would imagine. Oh, okay, that's yeah. good. <laughs> okay, um, some quick fire questions. Yeah. Simpsons or Futurama? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, neither, Rick and Morty. <laughs> Warlocks or zombies? Um, it's going to have to be zombies. And finally, truth or beauty? Truth or beauty? Wow. What's the right answer? <laughs> <laughs> Just because I know my wife would be listening to this. <laughs> um, do you know what? I'm going to be really vain and say beauty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Edison, thank you very much. Thank you. This is Fab Radio International. 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 International.
across the world. The real alternative. FabRadioInternational.com Lovely afternoon, everybody. Um, <laughs> after the interview is when I'd normally do a book review because that's what we do. Um, but the news but, got a bit epic. Yeah, the, the news was exciting. Ed's book was exciting, and we realised that we had a fifteen-minute interview and twenty minutes of show left. <laughs> um, so Oops. basically, at the beginning of the show, I said I was going to be reviewing um, the Lucifer series, which is a, a graphic novel um, with Vertigo, which is part of the, the, the DC kind of umbrella um but i'd rather do that justice mm-hmm. another time so we're going to do it another time um shall, shall we save it for the new format when the new format comes? yeah absolutely because ultimately like five minutes will just be me going yeah um so and i'd rather actually discuss them in the way that they deserve to be discussed um and so yeah we'll do that we'll do that another time i think with lucifer as well there's, there's specific bits uh, the line you come into my house and invited and then you utter his name that entire story oh. is like five minutes yeah <laughs> the, there's there's whole bits that like yeah you could just Marquezine on her own uh, five minutes if you've not read the Lucifer you should it's a, shall we set it as an assignment yeah actually yeah I'll read it before we do it <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you can join in <laughs> but it's, it's amazing though that this uh, like obviously like books are, are something that you, you, you spend so much of your time doing um like we're kind of we read and we start at such a young age but to still get this, this excited about stories is wonderful and i think that really kind of plays into who, who we are as people like stories are always going to be important and stories are one of like the oldest parts of our our kind of civilization as as as, as humans um, narrativian, narrativian, the element, the, the story element. Yes, the excellent narrativian. Um, and it's awesome though that like we talked about a book and we got excited about it. We talked about some book news and it's exciting. Like stories are a wonderful thing. This is such a wonderful, a wonderful part of the world. If you're listening to us live, um, you might want to catch the podcast when it comes out, as we'll have an extended version of that interview in the other lesson. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, you'll have enjoyed the extended version of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> but you still don't get to enjoy a review of Lucifer. <laughs> Goodbye from me, Ed Fortune, as I go and investigate these strange skills that are going on my skin. Oh, sad times. <laughs> uh, and it's goodbye from me, uh, Del. I, I don't have scales, but I'm going to hopefully have a nice lunch. Mm. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Rebecca Derrick. Produced by Anne Davis.